Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about inflation, bond yields, mortgage rates, and pending home sales. We may have just gotten back from Gathering of Eagles, but we're not done with events for 2023 yet. This October, we're headed right back to Austin, Texas for Housing Wire Annual, and we want to see you there. We've got a power-packed agenda with content such as our Women of Influence speakers, peak performer playbooks, CEO playbooks, and more to propel your company forward, as well as a bunch of networking events. Because this event is open to real estate executives, mortgage title, and everyone in between, you really have the opportunity to network with people from all across the housing ecosystem. If you want to learn more about the event, or if you're already ready to get registered, head over to housingwire.com on the events tab and you can learn all about it. Not to mention, if you're an HW Plus member, you're going to get 50% off your ticket. So get registered for HW Plus and get registered for the event so we can see you out in Austin. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. Wonderful to be here with you. It is Friday, June 30th when we are um, recording this. It's going to go live um, on July 3rd. So tell me, Fridays are always big economic days. What's the big news today? Well, today the core PCE uh, uh, data came out, actually, the personal consumption expenditures data that the Fed wants to get back to the 2% level. Uh, That's their target. Uh, inflation data, not so much the consumer price uh, index that people uh, love to use. But here, the year-over-year data is cooling down noticeably, but the core data is being a little bit more sticky than they would like. And I think uh, one thing that I talked about this morning is that people have to realize that the Fed is actually not looking at uh, core PCE with, uh, with the housing aspect of it. So uh, they're they're kind of tracking uh, uh, service inflation at this point, a- and it's confusing because you see these headline numbers being down year over year. And by the way, I just want everyone to realize that the growth rate of inflation is falling down on its own without a job loss recession. So for Every single one of you that have said we need 6% plus unemployment rates to bring down inflation, most of you are boomers and you're angry because you should not be pushing uh, a job loss recession, especially above 6% to bring the growth rate of inflation down. That That is an archaic way of looking at economics. Uh, uh, the history of pandemics have always been inflationary at first and then the disinflationary factors after and uh, uh, anyone, any person on the Federal Reserve that is advocating a job loss recession at this point for the growth rate of inflation, to you should be fired on the spot, or you should quit. Open the, you know, go with the job openings data. There's no more debate on this topic. The growth rate of inflation has not been accelerating since last year. The wage inflation data has been going down for 18 months now. Um, there's nothing here that requires a big job loss recession, especially 2% above where, uh, plus plus where the trend is. So hopefully that 
topic is over with now. Um, this is not the 1970s, nor will it ever be the 1970s, nor will the rent inflation boost like the 1970s. So I, I think today was a, an important day on, on that aspect. Uh, it's going to take some time, but again, we kind of see where the data lines is heading to and uh, all a positive trend, right? Get the growth inflation, growth rate of inflation. Now, you know, the whole six recession red flag model was, you know, there's two things that need to happen to be positive at this stage. Number one was the growth rate of inflation falling. That happened, especially with energy prices and gas prices. Uh, last year, we all saw, you know, energy spike up, uh, gas prices spike up, wheat prices uh, went parabolic after the Russian invasion. Those things have calmed down. Uh, that's a positive for the U.S. And uh, hopefully now we can move to the next stage of the discussion of the Fed and not have these certain people constantly talk about, well, we need a recession. We need a recession. Unemployment rate, 6 7%. You know, uh, that is not an effective uh, economic model at this point. And uh, we are good to go. And we don't need to push anything at this point. That conversation should be done today. So really, from your perspective, they're just using an old playbook, right? It's like they're fighting the last war with with those battle strategies where it's, we do not need a job loss recession at this point. Sarah, it's old men. It's just <laughs> old guys. I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's old guys who say we need, I mean, the the, the fact that people were advocating you know, uh, unemployment rates 2% above trend and with duration to bring down inflation, you know, uh, no, no, it's just not. If, now, if I thought inflation could actually keep on going up higher, you, we create a model based off of that and then we run with it. And none of that happened, right? Because again, the history of global pandemics are very inflationary early on. And then the disinflation factors happen, uh, especially with rents. Uh, and we're seeing that happen in this course. Now, whether you want to argue you want a 2% or 4% or 3% core PCE, fine, have that argument. But the the notion of, you know, we need to break the labor market, labor market. I mean, the, uh, even Jay Powell talked about this this week. Uh, labor market's too tight. Labor market's too tight. We have to, you don't need to, you just need to endure, right? That's the term that I've used. You know, at, at some point you have to just endure and move it along and let the supply factors kick in. And that's a positive, Right. Um, we will no longer tolerate people advocating job loss recessions uh, in this country, right? And I think that that group should be fought against every single time for our old, archaic way of looking at inflation, uh, especially with a global pandemic. I mean, you look at the history of the 21st century, we, we could barely even keep core PCE at 2%. It was down, it was like half the time was under 2%. So, uh, the, the supply issues are getting better. Give it time and we can move on. But clearly we're we're almost in July the 4th and there's no acceleration. There's nothing. There's some stickiness in core uh, in in goods and services, but outside of that, the reacceleration that we've seen just can't happen. And again, if you believe in the reacceleration, you believe in a massive housing boom or rent inflation taking off and that's that's not the case and you could see this even in the core PCE data, the shelter factor, just like in CPI, is now slowly starting its 12-month descent in that growth rate. So uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's a very positive uh, in that light. And in fact, I even tweeted this out. Anybody who's advocating 6% unemployment rates, I did a very, very 
pleasurable emoji, giving my disgust to that kind of uh, <laughs> talking point. So let's talk about bond yields and mortgage rates because boy, they are back up where you know it's so bad for housing to have mortgage rates over 7%. I know it's within your your forecast. I know all that. I know that to you, you might say, oh, it looks perfectly normal, but it is just devastating to our in- industry. So let's talk about bond yields and mortgage rates. So when we do the weekly tracker, there's one constant theme, claims data. Every Thursday, jobless claims, jobless claims, jobless claims. And what occurred is on a technical basis, the 10-year yield is slowly rolling over. But what are, what happened uh, on Thursday morning is jobless claims took a big dive under, which means that that's very uh, bullish for employment. And whenever you see a big number in jobless claims, whether up or down, you should kind of somewhat ignore it. But what occurred was bond traders were not in that position at all. So they just, they sold first right away. You could see this by the velocity of this. I know the GDP numbers were revised, but listen, it was all about jobless claims. And this is why at this point of the cycle, claims over jolts, uh, job openings data. So uh, the whole 2023 bond yield forecasts and mortgage rate forecast is actually not based on the growth rate inflation. Growth rate inflation is falling. It simply cannot sustain itself at, you know, CPI was at eight, 9%. But here, uh, the labor market is still doing its thing. We call what was it the honey badger labor market? We called it last year. Um, the structural dynamics are different now uh, than than what we saw after two thousand eight. So uh, the job openings are ten millions. We, you know, we wrote that early in the recovery. Um, so it's to get to three hundred twenty three thousand on the four week moving average. That's going to take something. And uh, I think the ten year yield just shot up right away, and mortgage rates just shot up. So. The, the interesting aspect still, and I, I think this is the main story for 2023, the spreads have gotten worse since the banking crisis. So my seven and a quarter um, peak level that was tied to the 10-year yield being at 4.2%, that's, that, that actually can go up even more if the 10-year yield gets back to the high point of the range. And right now we're at 385 and I kind of I try to show these charts on my Instagram and try to show these short-term rollovers on the 10-year yields. And as long as that is still in play, that's, that's you know, rates can't, I, we, we say this uh, in a lot of the podcasts, things can be worse than where they are now. Um, and as long as that doesn't break out higher, uh, uh, we're kind of in the the upper range of what we've seen uh, this year. But uh, it's, it, it for, I mean, just for me personally, it looks perfectly fine except for the spreads the spreads getting worse after the banking crisis is the is the big story of 2023 and uh um yeah it's 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 it, you know the housing market has stabilized you know in terms of the de- demand uh just because we're at historical low levels and and I, I i was telling another economist i said if you actually look at existing home sales you adjusted to the population and the uh, actual civilian employment it's the lowest levels of sales ever Right, because we have over 156 million people working. Uh, the pending home sales data uh, fell month to month. That looks perfectly fine with where the ranges I'm looking for this year. Uh, but the existing home sales market doesn't have the benefits of the new home sales market. New home sales are like they're like taunting, you know, the new home the, the people that are in the new home industry. Hey, listen, we could get sub six percent rates all day long, you know, and uh, 
I, I mean, there's a part of me that enjoys that because they've been at such a disadvantage in the previous decade versus the existing home sales market. But now they they have a, a few levers they can pull. And uh, but the existing home sales market is still limited uh, to a degree and higher rates just doesn't help that uh, uh, demand get better. Uh, lower rates will. But for now, uh, we're kind of still in that range and jobless claims haven't broken yet. And this is why every week on the tracker, we talk about claims, 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 claims. This is the first week that we actually saw like a noticeable uh, uh, kick in the bond market because of jobless claims data. So, you know, to your point, you and I were talking about the existing home uh, market versus the new home market and new homes now account for like 30% of all homes sold, which just shows you how few homes are being sold because it's not like that's a giant market. It's not like, oh, we've got millions of new homes that we could sell. No, you know, it's a, a, a good a good reference to this is, you know, like in 2019, you know, where we're like near 6 million uh, home home sales bought. You know the new home sales market was around seven hundred thousand, around there. So wait, it's so not, out of six million, very, it was seven hundred. Yeah, out of six million. Yeah, out of total? six million, like seven hundred thousand were new homes. So it's never, it, it's not, it, it hasn't been a big part of the market for a very long time. But here, it's advantage disadvantage. The builders actually have an advantage where they can provide lower rates. They've already cut prices. They're doing things to move product and. Um, imagine the U.S. housing market with sub 6% rates for the existing home sales market. We saw, we got a glimpse of that on November 9th, December, January, where we saw mortgage rates head down toward 6%. Duration, right? Duration is always key. And we saw three months of positive purchase application data. It gave us one of the biggest home sale prints ever recorded in history. Uh that's why lower rates with duration is key because then people go, people can make choices, right? Um, and I think that's that's the one dynamic about housing that people don't understand. People this year are starting to make plans for maybe next year for what they're going to do for housing. And uh, uh, you don't just sit there and go, oh, honey, the 10-year yield broke a certain level. Mortgage rates are heading towards 6%. Should we go apply for a loan? No, dear, we have no game plan right now. What are you doing? But we're the we have to rush to the market to get no. So you don't buy a house on a whim. <laughs> you know, I know this has been marketed at times, but uh, uh, lower rates with a longer duration is is very positive for the existing home sale market. Where the new home sale market's like, hey, listen, rates of seven doesn't matter. We can do this. Uh, uh, they they are they are pushing that lever, and, and it's it's very effective for them. So when you look at the rest of the summer. So we're, we're midpoint in the year almost, right? Uh, this is going to air on July 3rd. When you look at the rest of the year, do you see anything that could lower rates? So again, the, the lower, <clears throat> the bringing rates down is more based on the labor market. So the labor market has to crack. And so it's not cracking. What affects that? I mean, like, so, you know, we I talked mean, about the banking crisis and- that, that that's well here's keeping- here's here's a case here's if 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 i had to present a, a model to people uh going out for the next 6 months i would say so what are factors that can make the economy grow slower number 1 eventually student loan debt payments are going to be made okay that's a negative that's not a positive um number 2 is the uh credit getting tighter uh especially for small businesses that is a negative that's not a positive 
Um, eventually, the interest expenses of households uh, 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 will limit the ability for consumption to grow. So you put three different variable factors in together uh, and toward the end of this year, you know, you, you have something to work with. Uh, at least now we're just we're we're just basically moving this along. Um, the savings rate is also uh, much lower now than what it was before. So uh, people have less savings uh, uh, to to work off of. So the accumulation of credit card debt with higher net interest payments and less savings means that the future consumption is limited to a degree for certain households. Um, th- those are things that you can put into a model and think, okay, things can slow down later on. And I think that's part of the, uh, you know, the Fed's thinking in terms of, you know, maybe pausing or we're toward the end of the rate hikes is that there's also a lag period, uh, between, uh, uh how much rate hikes you need to have versus how many, um, um, uh, what what is the full impact of these rate hikes over time? So there are variables out there, just not uh, not uh, uh, um, any things that are current right now. So I was listening to NPR this morning, as I am wont to do, and one of the things that they talked about was that interest um, on credit cards now the average is over twenty percent, which is crazy, crazy, crazy. I mean, if you're if you are a household that puts things on credit cards and can't pay them off every month or don't pay them off every month. You, I mean, that's just like a huge tax, right? I mean, that's really eating into your uh, what you can spend. It, it, it's eating into future disposable incomes. It's just credit card utilization rates aren't very high. Uh, I, I know like I, w- one of the things I've seen over the last uh, 11 years is that people think that nominal credit card growth is actually a bad thing. And that's actually how expansions keep on going because people uh, consume debt on credit. Nobody pays cash for everything. But the credit card utilization isn't anything big right now. So uh, that's when credit card uh, debt starts to go down, that's when you get to see the economic data start to get worse. So uh, eventually over time, it just eats into you. And one of the things that, you know, I talk about with very long uh, expansions and very high short-term rates you know, people get to put more and more of their stuff on credit. If that builds up over time and that person loses a job, there's where you start to get bankruptcies and foreclosures. Okay, let's let's talk about pending home sales, purchase apps. Let's look at some of that data. What do we see today with pending home sales? So the the pending home sales came out, it was a miss month to month. And you know, when when we got that really big existing home sales print uh, early on in the year, I said, okay, you know what? I think that's the peak for this year. Um, that was a very abnormal, uh, monthly sales print. One of the biggest I've ever seen in history. And that a lot of that had to do with the huge decline, uh, in demand last year. And then three months of purchase application data being positive into one year. So the velocity of that move is not normal. And then after that said, Hey, listen, I think that'll be the peak. Uh, so what we have to look is, is that, Existing home sales are are trending at the lowest levels ever recorded in history versus the population. That's a fact. Anybody who wants to like dispute that, no, it's not true. And we're still staying in that range, but purchase application data is not declining in a big fashion anymore. It's just stabilized. Uh, in the last three weeks, we've had positive uh, week-to-week data. So the stabilization in data is still here, but that just means we're 
hovering uh, at the low levels. When you get to see actual growth every single week uh, is positive. The year-over-year data is positive and that trend growth comes on. That's why if you look at purchase application data from the bottom of 2014 all the way up to March of 2024, you saw that slow-moving uptrend, right? Uh, We don't have that. So that means demand is just stabilized from a waterfall collapse and nothing else is happening. That's, That's the authentic real way to look at the data. Until that changes... We're just here. We're we're at a very low level base. And again, like we've always stressed, sellers are buyers, right? And if if people cannot afford to move, they're not putting their home on the market to sell to buy another one. Uh, uh, so until that dynamic changes, and and what what we have seen is after 2010, lower mortgage rates changes that dynamic. Um, and until that becomes a, a, a an authentic story of duration and time. Let's say mortgage rates go down to five and a half percent, but they stay between five and a half and six and a quarter, not six to seven percent. Uh, um, then you could have something there and then we, we'll see it in the forward-looking data. But the forward-looking data to me just talks about stabilization. This is why the, the theme is stabilization, stabilization. The new home sale market is different, right? Much smaller market rate, rates are lower for them. But the pending home sales to me is still sticking in that range. And, you know, there, there's a better case to make that existing home sales can get below 4 million rather than get above uh, 4.6 million. Uh, and that's kind of what the data shows. And I think it's just it's just confusing for everyone because naturally what, what occurs is people think, well, if demand collapses, inventory should skyrocket and prices should collapse. That's the, you know... Uh, uh, volumes lead price theory, except the inventory data didn't <laughs> go along with that. Um, and uh, uh, that's why the internals of housing economics is different than, than let's say, uh, trading stocks. So uh, the penny home sales looks looks about right. I just I just don't think there's much going on in housing outside of that one big report. But if it does, we get to see it uh, in the purchase application data. But to me, it's you know. If rates get below 6%, especially that 5% level, um, uh, you could have something. Last year, when rates got down to 5% for like two weeks, we saw some of the data line change, but that's not the case anymore. We're still 2% higher than that. So uh, there's nothing There's nothing in the data that says to me the existing home sales market is is getting out of the... Uh, 21st century lows in demand, considering there's 156 million people working. The concern I have, because of the savagely unhealthy housing market is here, when rates fall, right, and inventory is this low, we get back into it that kind of marketplace that I'm not a fan of. Um, and it's just the 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 lack of active listings is still here. Now when Mortgage rates went from three to seven percent, and we had the biggest home crash ever recorded in history. That dynamic meant that low inventory doesn't protect you because demand has fallen. Well, if demand stabilizes, that's not that big of a story. But if demand grows, what are we doing here? We're stuck, and and that's a problem because what happens if if prices keep on rising? We're not like affordability isn't getting any better. Right, because it's not like home prices fell twenty percent. It's not like rates are falling. So we're still dealing with the affordability issue. It's just that 
In the United States of America, after 1996, there's always been that 4 million home buyer base. Uh, uh, and we haven't been able to break that with any duration. We didn't even do it that much in 2008. And we, we've kind of held the line here with uh, higher mortgage rates. But it, it, it does become the same problem that I've been concerned about after 2020 or after the, the summer of 2020. Too many people chasing too few homes. And then also the Federal Reserve having some archaic way of looking at home price inflation and housing. It's just, Sarah, I really have to have like an emergency meeting with them. Like I got to get the, all the presidents, the Fed presidents in a room and go, listen, let me explain to you what you, your archaic models of price inflation going into core CPI is not legit. Okay. So it's rent inflation. And we're, the one area that we do see some uh, supply really coming in is in the apartment construction. And we just got to, I mean, I would get the Marines, the Army, every, every man we can have and ladies to get those apartments up there and build them up as, as fast as possible. And then the growth rate of inflation would even be more tame because supply defeats inflation over the long run. Demand destruction is only a short-term fix. And we saw what happened. The Fed tried to destroy the housing market and thought that prices would come down or something, the Fed reset or whatever the people's assumption was on that didn't work, right? Because sellers are buyers and everyone has a really good 30-year fix. And it's just savagely unhealthy, Sarah. And it's just like the worst. It's the worst. It's like I sit here and think about, my. this is like the one thing I thought, what if this actually happens in 2020 to 2024? What if we just get stuck in a low inventory? We can't budge that. And we do this and it's midpoint of 2023. And I'm going to go through this whole five-year period of mine that I've been waiting for for a decade. And the nightmare scenario happens uh, uh, and it's just one of these things that's, it's not, it's not an easy fix. Like people think it's not. And it's especially savagely unhealthy if you're a first time home buyer, because first of all, I mean, you have less buying power than you maybe ever had because you have higher rates and home prices haven't fallen and that's not going to get better anytime soon because you have, you know, low inventory. And I know personally, I know tons of millennial people, my kids, their friends, my, all my nieces and nephews of which there are 24, as we know. Um, and you know, as I'm, as I'm telling them and I feel like there's, wow, you have 24 nieces and nephews. I do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I just, I've got, I've got two cats, a goldfish and a tortoise. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Listen, there's, I come from a big family and then we all had a lot of kids. So yes, I just, I, because that I know a ton of millennials who are in that home buying age and many of them have been, you know, I mean, they've had to, to wait. They, they couldn't compete in 2021 and part of 2022 and then rates went up and, you know, they're kind of shut out. So you know, I think you know, I know you don't like to think about the sideline buyers, but I do think there are. There's no, no, I, I, there, there is, there, there is a, there is a, there is a, there is a, a, a pent up buyer demand because the the demand fell so so fast, so quick because mortgage rates went up so much. So in, in that context, you can have like a sideline home buyer. The reason I never liked the sideline home buyer is because when home sales trends were trending normal. And then rates like went up or went down. People go, the sideline home buyer, and that goes into the honey, the right. 10-year yield broke. Should we go buy a house? What are you talking about, Dan? We <laughs> haven't even talked about buying. No, no, but, but the these 10-year are like- yield broke. And, the, and the, that doesn't work. Like people don't have that conversation. It's like today. Today somebody said, uh again, this is just this is just what some people think. Should a millennial 
be concerned about paying top dollar for a house. Maybe they should wait 10 years when the baby boomers downsize or die off. And I like told the person, guys, do not have sex with women. Do not have kids. Do not even start a family. Just wait until the baby boomers die. Then start that process. If you can find a lady that will wait that long for you, and then you can buy a home. And then by the time you're like in your 50s, then you go, yay, I did it. I listened to a bunch of people on the internet that told us to wait. Yeah. People don't operate that way. And that's the thing is that the 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 dynamics of the millennials being this massive at this point in time in their first time home buying age. And the reason I talk about this is some of the charts that I show from the NAR, it shows you that baby boomers and uh, uh, older people don't finance their homes as much as younger people. Younger people are like an 86 to 95% financing of their of their home. So when mortgage rates go up, they get disproportionately affected. So the Federal Reserve, the people that are their age are, hey, we got it. Those pesky kids are out of here. Right, they they're not bidding with us anymore, so uh, we get to buy what we want, and it's it, it it's tough. I mean, I just I I feel for them just because I've been waiting for this period for so long. And if you look at the millennials, were the biggest home buyers in America, and they were the biggest home buyers in in 2021. But when mortgage rates went up to three to seven percent, there is no country for young men and women in this in this housing market. For older men and women, yeah, but uh, it, it's it's savagely unhealthy, Sarah. It is savagely unhealthy. Um, Well, Logan, we're coming to the end of our time, but I did want to promo the fact that you and I recorded a special 4th of July episode of this podcast. Yes, we did it early and uh, we looked at, you know, the factors that make the U.S. a really great um, place to buy a home and and what homeownership looks like here. What are some of the dis- the advantages of that? It's um, it's a very good episode, I think. And it's coming out on July 4th. We wanted to have something for people. So not only do they get to hear you today, which this will air on Monday, but on Tuesday and on uh, Thursday this, this week. So tune July in. the 4th, baby. July the 4th. I just want to <laughs> remind everyone. The previous expansion was the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. We had recession calls every single day during that period. Then COVID-19 came and some of you people thought COVID-19 was your savior, that the collapse of the United States of America and the dollar demise and all that stuff. And we rebounded in six weeks and the, the U.S. economy is outperforming the world again. Why? Our demographics, our king dollar, our military, our people are much stronger and tougher than you think. So uh, uh, don't ever forget that America is great because of its people, you know, not just because of King dollar and everything, but us as a nation, our, our demographics is our muscle. We have a lot of younger people, millennials and Gen Z. Other countries don't have this. They don't have replacement workers or consumers. That's the benefit of the U S that's why housing broke out before COVID hit us. That's why our recoveries are good. I keep on showing this because a lot of times uh, people show these charts and they go, oh, my God, why is the U.S. outbreaking? And I just put the population charts and Japan's dying and Europe is going down and China's in. But U.S., we're doing good. Yes, more of the same energy and um, and talking points, although we go into quite a few things. So uh, listen to the special July 4th podcast and hope everybody has a, a great July 4th. And Logan, thanks for being on. Great July 4th. And just remember, all American bears have failed since 1790. <laughs> Join that list if you want to. Go ahead. Our listeners are, are not among those. So anyway, thank you guys so much. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Logan.
Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.